Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. Whoa! 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 Oh, hey, I don't know if you want that right now. Oh, yeah, no, I want it. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Come on, y'all. So great to have you, and uh, we're going to do our declarations, and you're just going to stay standing for a minute, all right? Unless you're just tired. If you're tired, okay. you're welcome to sit down because we love everybody's preferences. So, anyway, take the lead, son, <laughs> with a little energy if that didn't wear you out running out like that. Took it all. There we go. Took it all. Uh, say this with me the words will be on the screen. I declare that, that I'm created in the image of God. God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. Put an amen on that. Amen. I declare, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Yes and amen. Today I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God. Be like God and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands. You ready, Josh? Yes, sir. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, y'all. All right, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. We're so glad that you're here. This is the last week of our Level Up series. Next week starts staycation. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but want to welcome online Heather, Oregon, Lasan, Mississippi, Frank, California. We got watch parties happening all over. Let's give our online church a big hand. Thank you, guys. Love you. But before you're seated, uh, I just wanted to thank God that after 50 years Amen. and 63 million plus babies that have been aborted, that our Supreme Court overturned. Roe versus Wade. I want you to know, just stay standing with me for a second, because I just want to just talk a little bit about this, and Josh is going to say a few things. But uh, it's so important that we need to understand that what happened is what the Supreme Court of the United States is supposed to do. And what they're supposed to do is to uphold the Constitution. Not to interpret the Constitution, but to uphold the Constitution. And you've got to understand, so many people say, what's well, Republican and Democrat? No, it's not. When you have people uh, like a Maxine Walters who says to hell with the Supreme Court and she serves our country uh, in Congress and in the Senate, and you're saying to hell with our Supreme Court, we are far, 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 far from, from a great country with bad leadership across the board. And that's the reality of where we are right now. And so I thank God that arguably in one of the worst times in American history with the weakest leadership that our country has ever had, in my opinion, I'm only 62, but in my opinion, that in the middle of that, God said, you know what? I'm just going to do something because I'm going to show you how America is supposed to act. 
Come on, y'all. Yeah. And the fact, the fact that we've got former presidents and different people telling people to protest and riot because you're mad because you can't murder a baby anymore is absolutely demonic and it's insane. And I'm saying it, calling it out. And in this house and in this tribe, we will uphold the word of God. We will uphold the sanctity of life. And I just want you to know, and, and again, I want to say to you, a lot of my pastor friends, with all due respect, stay silent on issues like this. And, and let me explain that, because I get questions all the time. People direct message me and say, why is my pastor not saying something about this? Why is that? Because here's the reality. There's a lot of pastors, in fact, 69% of them, according to the Barna poll, that they're in ministry because they're called to teach or preach. But less than, so I want to explain this to you, because some of you have this question. Others of you, you don't care. But for the people that do care, less than 5% of all pastors polled in the United States feel like they have a calling or a gift for leadership. And so what you've got is you've got churches that are being led by teachers and preachers, and that's great. But let me tell you what I'm tasked to do. I'm tasked not just as the pastor and as the founding pastor of this church, but as a spiritual leader and a spiritual father in the body of Christ to speak the truth in love based on the word of God and to help lead us through this stuff that culture tries to establish. You cannot, listen, you cannot try to make church fit into culture. And we never will. I don't care what culture says. We never will. And I'm not saying that to be overly strong, but I am saying that very strongly to tell you that the positions that we take, you can say it's conservative, you can say it's Republican, you can say it's whatever, but the positions that we take as much as within us is based on a biblical worldview, based on a kingdom mindset, not just based on America, not just based on the greatest state in the union, the state of Texas, but it's based on the word of God. And where you live matters. The state you live matters. That's why people are coming here. Even people who don't ascribe to biblical morality are coming here. Why? Because Texas is a great place to do business. Why is that? Because of how it's governed. That's why. So don't bring your ish from wherever you came from and try to make Texas how where you left. So I'm just saying that to everybody. So with that said, I want to honor God. I want to thank God that in the midst of some of the most difficult times in our country, wow, how could this happen? God, that's how. God, that's how. There's nothing more sacred than a life. And one last thing, then I'm going to pitch it to my son. One last thing. You'll hear a lot of people say, my body, my choice. When you make a choice to have sex, there is a responsibility that comes with that. You don't go, well, you know, I had sex and then, wow, now I got to deal with the consequence of that. So I guess we'll just abort this baby. So again, we can talk about rape. We can talk about incest. We can talk about all those things of that's less than 2% of any type of abortion that there's ever been. At the highest level, they, they estimate it's of the 63 plus million that we, that's been recorded they estimate at the highest level, 4% of 
of abortions have been performed because of rape or incest or something like that. Mainly, it has been a choice to fix a wrong that somebody did in their own morals because they're not doing it God's way. And so it's a major inconvenience that they just want to fix. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm calling America back to biblical morality. That's what God's called us to do as a spiritual leader. And abortion is not the issue. The issue is before abortion. The issue is why are you doing that? Why, why don't you use protection if you're going to screw around? Why don't, whatever. But why, 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 don't you, why don't you make some decisions beforehand so you don't have to make a worse decision afterhand? So all that to say that, that you'll hear a woman's body, a woman's choice. And let me tell you, let me just say this. God has given a woman a capacity that no man has, no matter what they say, and that is to carry a baby. And the fact is, is that once you use your womb to carry another life, that other life in you is not your body. It's just common sense. Come on, we are not ignoramus people. This argument has totally been based on a lie. And somehow it's a healthcare issue for a woman to be able to have the right to abort a baby or to murder another life. Some of my friends won't touch this, some of my pastor friends, because they know there's people in their churches that have had abortions. We're not here to condemn you. We're not here, listen, sin is sin. It doesn't matter. It takes the same amount of blood of Jesus to forgive a lie as it does a fornicator who's having sex outside of marriage. That's what it's called, by the way. It's not just your lifestyle or your choice. It's called fornication. The Bible says it's a sin and you'll go to hell for it. It's just the truth. So you can do it your way but God never intended for two people just to fornicate. He, 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 he wants a man and a woman to come together. And if somebody loves you enough that they get your body, then it ought to be forever because God is about family and he's about marriage. And that's, that's what he wants you to know. He's not just about pleasure. Okay. So that's the real, real, that's the real, real. And I'm a spiritual leader and that's why I'm saying it like it is. It's, it's the real, real. You see, Again, with all due respect, some of my pastor friends won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because in the name of love, they just want to love everybody. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to love people straight to hell because a good minister comforts the afflicted, but he also afflicts the comfortable. And I just want to have a church and a family, not of perfect people, but of forgiven people. Watch this, that know we need the blood of Jesus and and we need a biblical moral code, and that is the guide to how to have a prosperous, a successful, and a kingdom life on this side of eternity like God wants you to have. So, yeah, we can, pro- we can probably sit down. You're good. Okay, good. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> good. Josh, Josh, he's like, it's time to chill, Dad. Oh, it's just- so again, I want to say one more time, listen. Yes, sir. No condemnation. Team that's ever had an abortion, considered an abortion, no condemnation. Because it's no different than anything else. Yeah. It's, it's aligning your life mm. with a biblical worldview. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of sins we could name. Sin is sin. Yeah. Missing the mark is missing the yeah. mark. But you don't fix a bad decision by making another bad decision. Yeah. 
That's the bottom line. Well, like John 8, John 8, there's a story about Jesus and this woman that was caught in adultery. And, um, you know, it's a sin. It's a sin in the, in the Bible punishment. The man but, wasn't caught in the adultery. Well, he, he was, but they let him go. So um, that's a whole this other issue. This woman was caught in adultery so, by so, other men. So she's caught, in a, she's caught in adultery. They go to stone her because that's what's legally allowed. And Jesus looks at her and he talks to her and he says, he says, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. And so that's our approach. That's God's approach. It's yeah. like, I don't, he doesn't want us to live the consequences of our sin that we deserve because right. our sin deserves death. Like there's a lot of us in this room that we might have a tendency to be a little self-righteous and think that because, well, I haven't done that, that I'm somehow better than somebody right. else. The Bible says our sin disqualifies us all, that there's nothing more evil than the human heart. That's what the book of Jeremiah says. And so we're all people that need God in our life. We need God to work in our life to forgive us. But like Pastor Keith said, the forgiveness and the grace of God does not, in the book of Romans, it describes this, and in the book of Hebrews, it describes this. It doesn't give us license to keep sinning. And so people in, in culture and in society tend to have this approach to grace that says, well, God's forgiven me and it's not that big of a deal, so I can keep doing it. No, Jesus says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, Yeah. right? And so that's, that's our approach. That's our approach as a church. Yes, we're going to be loving, but we're also going to talk about the truth. Because here's, here's two things I would say. The first thing is, is that it's possible to be Christian and not have a biblical worldview. Because to be a Christian means that you have accepted God's gift of grace. You've accepted the fact that Jesus has died on a cross for your sins and that you've got your eternity secure. Now, to see things like God sees them, that's a conscious decision that we make. So just because I accept Jesus doesn't mean I approach my life like God wants me to so, approach so my Josh, life. So, Josh, let me interrupt you to say this. I've grown up in church, y'all, and I've seen a lot of people who are believers and they're Christians, and I want you to really understand what Josh said. They do not live their life with a biblical worldview. In other words, they, they believe in Jesus. They've asked Jesus to come to their heart, but there's no real difference between them and people that's in the world. God has called us not just to confess Jesus, God has called us not just to believe in Jesus, but God has, has called us to live a life of transforming into the image that he created us to be. And nobody's perfect and nobody's there, but you have to, if you are a Christian and if you are a believer, you have to be able through a biblical worldview to say that is culture, that is not the Bible, and, and we have to draw a line in the yeah. sand, not to condemn people, but to help people understand, no, the wages of sin is death, yeah. but the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah. And so, so, what, so it means a lot of different things to have a biblical worldview. We're going to talk, we have a series coming up called Game On, where we're going to talk about that. But, but I don't want to get into that whole thing, but here's, right. here's what I'll say, is that God has a different perspective on life than human beings do. He just does, because he created life. And, um, and so to have a biblical worldview, there's the Rom Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, allow God to, it says God's will for us is that he would, we would allow him to transform our thinking. God does not agree with us. Just because we got saved doesn't mean now we're doing all the things right that we need to be doing. Right. That, that means that eternity is secure, and that's a beautiful thing. But there's a different life that God calls us to. And if you read the Word of God, and you read it, and you try to apply it, you will realize how dumb you are and how much your life is not working for you. Now, does cult, is culture going to tell us that? No. The, the, the world and the culture we live in is geared around, hey, you're fine just how you are. Jesus does not say that to us. You're not fine how you are. That's why you need my help. That's what Jesus says. And so there's a term I want to introduce to you. You can Google it later. 
figure it out. There's a term called sanctification. And sanctification is, and salvation are two different things. Salvation is us giving our hearts to Jesus. Sanctification is us choosing to live like him. And that a sanctification is a process that happens over time. It's a decision that we make. That sounds kind of like a biblical world word, and uh, it is. It's just a different, it's just us choosing to think like God and be like God and do like God. That's intentional. So with the pro-life versus pro-choice debate, there's a lot of things that people can say. There's a lot of things that we understand that we don't understand. Here's what biologists can tell us. Biologists can tell us around the time where lungs develop or a heartbeat starts or all that different stuff that in culture might constitute life or might not constitute life depending on a person's perspective on what life is for so some the so the question is when does life when, begin what does it mean to be alive is really the ultimate question right because there are some people who will say that what it means to be alive is that you're born and you're breathing air so late term abortions aren't a big deal to those people because you're not alive yet uh, what it means to be alive for some people is that you have lungs or you have a fingerprint or you have a heartbeat. There's a lot of different things that it could mean to be alive. What does it mean to God for us to be alive, though, is the main question. If we're pursuing God, if we call ourselves Christians, if we want to be like Jesus, what does it mean to be alive according to God? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So that means that you and I were people to God before we were ever even conceived. Genesis chapter one, verse 27, says that we're created in God's image according to his likeness. Psalm 139 tells us that David tells us that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And so biologists can say, when, this is when your heart so God, starts. So God, really get that. God knits us together in the womb. And, and there are people that say, well, that's not a lot. No, God, this is the word of God. God knits us together yeah. in the mother's womb. So for God, life is not your physical body. That's not life. For God, life is your spirit. Life is your soul. So the thing that's created in God's image in Genesis chapter 1 is not our physical bodies. It's not our heart. God doesn't have a physical heart. God doesn't have a physical face that we've known of that we can see. So when the Bible says we're created in God's image and that God knew us before we were born, that means that we're spiritual beings first. Yeah. We're not human beings first. Yeah. Now, culture, again, does not recognize this distinction. So biologists can tell us when all these things start. Here's what a biologist and any scientist that's ever walked the face of the earth cannot say. When a spirit enters a body and when a soul enters a body. Can't say that. We don't know. We have no idea. If the Bible tells us that God knew us before we entered our mother's womb, that means we were a being before we were a human. So to decide, so if we decide to have a biblical worldview, and this is just like one thought on this for me. Yeah. If we decide to have a biblical worldview, that means that we choose to see life as happening before our parents even got together. And so we treat that differently than someone who says, well, this baby's not born yet, so it's not a person. Then the choice is not a choice. Because then you realize that to do that means to be God in that situation and decide who's going to live and who's going to die. So for all these other things, there's a, I usually don't, I don't like to maybe talk about my stuff. Pastor Keith likes for me to talk about my stuff. I do. So I started a website recently where you know I why? just like. Because it can help people. Thanks, Dad. We don't talk about our stuff for our stuff. We talk about what yeah. God's given us for other people. So I have a website recently that I started called Wallow, W-O-L-O-W. 
And um, on there, I, I, I did a little bit of a deep dive intellectually on what God says about abortion. Can you be pro-choice and be a Christian, so on and so forth. And you can go on there and read that. But I would encourage, I encourage all of us to not debate. Like there's a lot of debate on opinions and morality and ethics and all of that. The debate is not that for us as Christians. The debate is what does God say about these yeah. things? Yeah. And we should, we should strive to ascertain that. So that's my... Uh, that's like kind of my one thing is when does the question for us as believers related to pro-choice, pro-life debate, whatever else, is when does life begin? And if you believe life begins when God says it, God says it begins, there is no way that you could ever be pro-choice. There's just no way. There's, it's impossible because God says, I knew you before you were ever conceived. Before those cells got together and started dividing, I knew you and I chose you and I appointed you. And that's a, different, that's a different way of thinking than the world thinks. So. That's right. Very good. All right. So uh, last thing, uh, before we jump into this, uh, my friend Mike Lewis and his wife is here. Y'all stand. Just give them a hand. Thank you, guys. North Carolina, thank you for, for being here. Uh, I have the privilege to coach Mike, and he and his wife came in this weekend to be with us. Thank you for being here. And... Uh, and also this week, we have an online mastermind. Some of you haven't engaged in that, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that this, this Tuesday. Uh, David Stroud will be in the lobby. If you want more information, either about coaching or about mastermind, this in this season of my life is part of my best and highest use to help people discover their best and highest use, to help people monetize every gift that they have, and to also build incubators of greatness within this incubator of greatness that's going to help people's visions and dreams come to pass. So David will be in the lobby today if you want more information about that. But Josh, I'm excited about today because we're really, uh, this series, Level Up, I, I just love this, just right here, high-level thinking uh, in a low-level world. And that's what we're trying to, we're trying to, to do based on the word of the living God, when you elevate your thinking, come on, y'all help me, elevate you elevate your life. And so when we're talking about level up, we've been uh, in this particular series talking about our, our four core values. Um, and Josh, we've talked about honor. We've talked about growth. We've talked about grit. Pastor Sheila did such a great job on grit. Too much grit. Get that trampoline. Too much grit to quit. I love that. And then we're going to talk about servant leadership yeah. today. And Josh, this is this is core to yeah. our church. This is a what matters most. Yes, sir. But it's not just about our church. It's about yeah. individual lives. And we're, so we're, and we're, take, we're taking the lid off. Uh, like how great was No Limits Nate, you know? I like that he was the mascot Nate, stand up. Series. This is your Ninja Warrior champion <laughs> right here. Yes. God is bringing us. God is bringing you know, You know what, Nate? Here's my thought. How old are you? 36. You're not married, right? Just turn around for a minute. Just model for him. <laughs> now, ladies, just as a spiritual father, I would like to commend and recommend you check Nate out. He is now a son of the house, engineer mind. Smart. Superman body. Superman body. <laughs> Going to be totally. <laughs> what'd you say, Nate? You said submitted to Jesus. Submitted to Jesus. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, always yeah. bring. Hey, but I'm going to tell you something. The most eligible bachelor in our church. Yeah. And uh, I, I just love that. But, Nate, here's, here's my thought. Now, you're how old again? 36. 36. So, so as I was watching you, I thought, 
God, I don't want to get a day older. Like, I want to keep being young and... Anyway, my, my only thing is like I see guys like you that are coming into our church now. And I started our church when I was about your age. So I was about 40 years old. And I started that ch- the church, and I'm still fighting it, y'all. Like I'm still fighting to be young, still fighting to be fit, still fighting to be a God ninja freaking warrior. But anyway, I thought, I thought in my mind, it's the, only thing, it's the only thing sad to me about getting older is I see these younger guys, and, and, and I, w- I would have loved to compete against Nate. Maybe I still will. <laughs> like, maybe, like maybe we'll, uh, I, I just, on, I mean, I'm just saying. Get, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they don't, hey, nobody knows the price you pay to be that's you, true. right? So I don't know, yeah. man. We just might so, have some kind of, I don't know. Well, whatever you're ready for is ready for you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Josh, why so, don't we preach now? So, yeah. So uh, I love, I, I, what I was going to say uh, was I love Nate's nickname, No Limits Nate. Like I told him, I saw him this week. I hadn't seen him in a few weeks. And I said, man, I was starting to feel like I had some limits. And then I got around you and realized I had no limits to have. I mean, and so, just jump, like jumping off that stuff. No, he's, he's the, I mean, I mean he, he does that. Plus, I work out with Nate. So Nate's like one of the, Nate's probably stronger than me in terms of how he works out. I mean, him and, watching him and Steve Weatherford together is uh, like, it's always fun and incredible. I'm not the third right, member so of that group. It's question. really just them. Let me ask you a question. In front yeah. of God and everybody, am I stronger than Nate? Yes you know, or no? Just quick answer. Just what's, quick see, answer. See, that's just quick answer. Um, what's your standard of measurement is the thing. <laughs> it's the thing. Anyway, him and Weatherford, I'll give them a run for their money you, in the gym. You, I promise you, you that. Go you ahead, would. son. Let's preach. All right. So, um, so we've been talking about we've been talking about leveling up, and I think it's 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 a really significant thing that we're kind of landing the plane here in this series on the topic of servant leadership. And uh, I want to invite us into thinking like Jesus. And yeah. so the, the Bible, Philippians, Paul, who wrote Philippians, describes Jesus this way. He says, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Yeah. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Beautiful. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So yeah. Jesus for us as, as Christians, as those of us that follow Jesus, we see him as like the epitome of what it means to, be, to live the best life possible. And Jesus was certainly a leader. There's not a person uh, that we could talk to or that we would know that would be like, ah, oh, Jesus really wasn't a leader. I mean, he led 12 men that's become a worldwide movement that we're sitting here talking about uh, today. Uh, Jesus was absolutely a leader, but he was a different kind of leader than the world had ever seen before. And Jesus was the kind of leader who was a servant leader. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is the question, asking the question to ourselves, what is servant leadership? And um, we've, we've rolled this way as a church for 22 years. Yeah. It's become common sense like in, le- in like cultural lexicon and the language of the culture. But when we started in 2000, no one was really talking about that. Yeah. And you were really one of the first people to say, hey, like there's a difference between volunteering and servant leadership. Yeah. There's a difference between le- regular leadership and servant leadership. And uh, one of the things that you wrote that I really love is you had you have like servant leadership in four short paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, for those of you that don't know and you're newer, um, 
I just bought into the Jesus-style leadership. And Jesus-style leadership is serving first, and you're, you being a servant uh, moves you into being a leader. When you serve other people, you're actually helping to lead other people. And, and, and again, back to what we were talking about before, Josh, that's why as a pastor, I can't stay silent on subjects. The reason I can't stay, stay silent on subjects in culture and relevant issues is because I'm tasked by God as a servant leader to help lead people in serving people through culture and to help them align with what God wants. So that's how we started our church. And uh, so here's, here's, here's a servant leadership in four short paragraphs. First paragraph, servant leadership is a noble ascent of mind and heart to live life with a transcendent cause. It is born out of a grateful heart and expressed through a spirit of generosity. Through servant leadership, one's life becomes a sacred despoilment of mediocrity. And so let me just tell you something. Your natural default and my natural default is mediocrity. Because your natural default and my natural default are normal. Just to be a normal man, to be a normal woman, to be a normal person. In the industry you're in, just to be a normal person, show up for your job, do your job, get your paycheck, take your vacation, and hopefully someday retire. In other words, your, your natural default is just to be normal. Therefore, your natural default is not to be super normal or below normal, but it's normal. And mediocre is literally on the fence. Mm. That's what it means. That's where it came from. The word mediocre came from, from basically sitting on, on the fence on both sides. The next, the next um, paragraph is servant leadership is an initiation of greatness by the one serving and is intended to benefit the one being served. However, the real beneficiary of servant leadership is the one who leads by serving. So the first step in after leading yourself well uh, is to serve other people so that you can not just find a need and fill it, but find a need and lead it. Third paragraph. Servant leadership is the most effective way to develop personal greatness that generates competence, attitude, and skills that empowers one to find a need and not just fill it, but lead it. By doing so, the one who leads himself to serve others leads others by example and creates an atmosphere of excellence where quality breeds excellence and excellence breeds quality. And I'll just simply say this. In my book, I talk about servant leadership is the gateway of greatness and that God wants you to be great. Really hear this. Some of us have never had a thought process about being great because we don't see ourselves as great. And Josh is gonna talk about that. But the reality is this. Great things happen because of great people. Yeah. Great things don't just happen. Great marriages happen because of great people. Great businesses happen because of great people. Great achievement happens because of great people. In other words, nothing great happens without an innate desire to be great. So where does greatness start? By serving others. You learn the art of, of greatness, the art of leadership by by choosing to serve other people. And then the last paragraph, servant leadership is a modus operandi, develops the quality of indispensability 
that is the cause for all long-term growth and success, both personally and professionally. I want to read that one more time. Servant leadership as a modus operandi develops the quality of indispensability that is the cause for all long-term growth and success, both personally and professionally. So, so here's, here's the thing. Servant leadership is not I'm paid to do a job. Servant leadership is, is a generous modality, personal modality that you say, you know what? I'm gonna make everything that I'm a part of better because I'm a part of it. And it's being somebody, like I see my friend Chris down here. Chris, how many employees do you have? Well, not, I'm talking about not Dr. Chris. Dr. Chris is right here. I'm talking about there's many Chris. Chris's. Sorry, sorry this, this is the Chris section. Uh, <laughs> about 70 employees. Um, don't you appreciate, first of all, you've got employees that don't do what they're asked to do. We all do. You've got, you've got, you've got employees who do what they're asked to do and they get a paycheck. And some people think that because they do what they're asked to do, that they deserve a raise because they're doing what they're asked to do. Well, as a boss, since I was 87, somebody that since works for- 1987. What'd I say? Since a boss since I was 87, like, wow. You're 120 nowadays. That's the way to go, man. <laughs> since 1987, <laughs> I've had employees. I've never given an employee a raise because they did their job. I give them a paycheck because they do their job. So who gets raises for you, Chris? Who gets raises for me? I don't just give uh, raises because, oh, everybody's going to get a raise. A person that goes over and above is the first person that gets a raise. And that person on any staff of any company, of any organization, creates a place of indispensability for themselves because of how they roll. Aren't your favorite employees people that do way more than they're asked to do? And I would ask every boss that, and every boss would say that. So, Josh, I'm going to kick it to you. Yes, sir. You just go, sir. Okay. I'll, well, I'll go, and then you'll go, and then I'll go. Okay. And you'll go. So, um, so we look at this story of Jesus. That's, that's a, I mean, I would encourage you to take, you can get our notes in, in our app or on the Uversion app. I would encourage you to take the four short paragraphs. There's so much depth there that you can explore for yourself. A lot of depth. Because that covers pretty much everything that there is to know about servant leadership. But let's. Let's walk through it. So servant leadership, Josh, is it, listen, it's not being a servant leader. I'll go, your, you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not being a servant leader in your church. It's being a servant leader everywhere you yes. are. Yeah. In your house, with your spouse, with your, with your family, with, in other words, it's, we're not talking about servant leadership. Oh, hey, we want you to Join serve someone today. in the church. Yeah, we're talk, we want to give you that opportunity, by the way, but, but, but it's really having a spirit of a servant leader. Yes, sir. And so, so when we look at Jesus, the first thing to start with in this passage of Scripture is Jesus humbled himself. In the New Living Translation, it says he took a humbled position. In the ESV version, it says that he emptied himself of his godhood. Hmm. And uh, there's, there's a misunderstanding of what humility is, I think, a lot of times in culture. So a lot of times we look at people we perceive as arrogant and we say, oh, that's what pride is. Like when a guy's really arrogant or a girl's like, hey, it's all about me. I'm the, I'm the show. I'm entitled. You know, I'm the winner. Everyone just follow me. I'm the best at everything. There's people that we know that like operate in a level of arrogance that we can say, wow, that person's pretty prideful. But what we don't do is we don't see insecurity a lot of times as arrogance or insecurity as pride. 
And arrogance and insecurity are kind of like these, you can see there's these, there are these dots within like a spectrum that we all fall within at different periods of time. The common denominator between being arrogant and being insecure is that it's all about you. The person who's arrogant is like, I'm amazing. It's all about me. It's all about how great I am. None of this would happen without me. The person who's insecure is like, I'm useless. I'm awful. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to contribute to my family. I have nothing to contribute to life. Both of these people are very annoying to be around, but for very different reasons. The person who's insecure is annoying to be around because it's like, come on, dude. Get over it. Get over yourself. Just bring what you bring. The person who's arrogant, it's like, you're not all that. The common denominator is that represents pride because right. pride says Good. it's all about me. Yeah. On whatever level, you can be all about you negatively and be all about how bad you are and how awful you are and how horrible your life is. That's, that's pride because it's still all about you, biblically. Or it can be about how amazing you are and how amazing everything is. An insecure leader, I would say, is just as bad as an arrogant leader. And so what is, what is servant leadership? Pastor Keith gave you a, a paragraph. I'll give you a sentence. A servant leader is a person who empties themselves to fill other people up. That's what Jesus did. Was it says he came to the earth, he emptied himself of whatever he felt like he deserved so that other people could experience the life that God had for them. Yeah. And so there's a story I want to tell you about a guy named Alvin York. This is a picture of a business in Pall Mall, Tennessee. This guy named Alvin York was born in Pall Mall, Tennessee on December 13th, 1887. Uh, he was born into a family of farmers and was the third of 11 children. He quit school. His dad had him quit school after only nine months to help take care of his family. And despite this, he became a really skilled laborer. He was a great marksman and a great hunter. And uh, his father died when he was 24. And so Alvin took on the responsibility of raising his eight younger siblings. And despite how much he loved his family and how loyal he was to his family, he was well known by many throughout the, the county he was in and the city of Pall Mall for being a violent alcoholic. Many in his town considered him a nuisance who would never really amount to anything. And at the age of 28, he walked into a revival tent meeting of the Church of Christ in Christian Union in 1915. And he, and he, got, he gave his life to Jesus really for the first time. And he adopted the strict moral code of this church, which said that he couldn't drink, he couldn't gamble, he couldn't fight, he couldn't dance, he couldn't swim, couldn't do a lot of things. The code that they had also condemned uh, all forms of violence and warfare. Um, he eventually became a song leader in his church and was a Sunday school teacher. The United States, and many of you maybe know this, this time in history, in 1917, World War I was on, and so the United States declared war on Germany. In 1917, and at the, at the age of 30, Alvin York was drafted into the military. Uh, his beliefs, he was a pacifist. He didn't believe in uh, war and in fighting wars and in violence anymore. So he wanted to become a conscientious objector, and that was denied by the draft board. And he was sent to basic training in Camp Gordon, Georgia. And uh, he quickly established a reputation as one of the best shooters there, but he had no stomach for war or any kind of violence. So he had a commander by the name of George Buxton, who was also a devout Christian, but had a different perspective. And they would sit for hours and read the Bible together and study the word. And George, uh, Commander George Buxton would talk to him about, about how there are times in life where God puts us on the planet for certain times to be the good that's in the midst of evil. And so Alvin, in his mind, wrestled with this over a really long period of time. And he came to the place where he realized that there are times where good men must fight back to, advance, to prevent the advance of evil in the world. Okay, I want to stop you right there and just say this. This is what good leadership is about. 
Good leadership, remember, he had a commander that talked to him about his mindset, that talked to him about how he grew up, that talked to him about positions that he'd even taken uh, for seemingly good, to be a pacifist, to, 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 to not be about violence. And yeah, because he was a fighter and a drunk and a violent man, and he was afraid of becoming violent again because he felt like that was something that he had to give to Jesus. Yeah, and so, so again, with all due respect, this is where many pastors are today. They don't realize their responsibility is to help lead people in their mindsets, to help people get a higher level of thinking, not just to default to their personalities, not just to default to their normal, not just to default to their mediocrity. But I love that part of the story, Josh, because it, it highlights that, that George Brexton actually poured into him and helped shifted his thinking. Yeah. That's the job of a spiritual yeah. leader. And so he was sent to France in October of 1918, where he and 16 other soldiers were ordered to take control of a railroad. And uh, they misread their map and they quickly found themselves behind enemy lines. They were down in a valley uh, and uh, were looking for this railroad and then they found themselves being bombarded with machine gun fire. And this is what, this is what uh, Alvin York said. I'm gonna read this in my best Tennessee accent that I got. He said, the Germans got us and they got us right smart. They stopped us, they just stopped us dead in our tracks. Their machine guns were up there on the heights overlooking us and well hidden, and we couldn't tell for certain where the terrible heavy fire was coming from. And I'm telling you, they were shooting straight. Our boys just went down like the long grass before the mowing machine at home. Our attack just faded out, and there we were, lying down about halfway across the valley, and those German machine guns and big shells were getting us hard. So the mission changed. It's not about taking the railroad anymore. Now it's about getting rid of the machine guns. They captured a group of German soldiers and uh, were quickly pinned down by the other machine guns that were firing all around them. Eventually, nine Americans were killed and uh, Alvin York was left in command of, the, of, of him and six other men that remained. So he took the remaining soldiers that were alive and told them to take defensive positions and to watch the... the the people that they had just captured and to stand guard over them. And then he began to slowly and calmly approach the closest machine gun using the hunting skills of his youth. Before he could get close, he was seen and ambushed by five German soldiers. He defeated them with his pistol without getting hit. And as he made his way to the machine gun nest, he was able to kill more than two dozen men. Here's what he said. And those machine guns were spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me, something awful. And the Germans were yelling orders. You never heard such a racket in all your life. I didn't have the time to dodge behind a tree or dive into the bush. As soon as the machine guns opened fire on me, I began to exchange shots with them. There were over 30 of them in continuous action, and all I could do was touch the Germans off just as fast as I could. I was sharp shooting. All the time, I kept yelling at them to come down. I didn't want to kill any more than I had to, but it was they or I, and I was giving them the best I had. <laughs> Man, I love your accent. That's, that's all right. It's amazing. So while capturing, he gets to the machine gun. He makes his way to the machine gun, and uh, while capturing the machine gun, he was charged by a first lieutenant named Jürgen Vollmer, and Jürgen Vollmer emptied his pistol at Alvin and didn't hit him. And while, it, while he, he watched Alvin continue to fight, and as Alvin came at him, he stood up and surrendered his position and gave himself over to Alvin. All told, by the end of this engagement, Alvin York and, set, and, and uh, six men 
had captured all the German machine gun positions and took 132 soldiers as prisoners. Awesome, awesome. So him and six other guys took 132 men prisoner. He was awarded the Medal of Honor, the Legion of Honor, and 50 other service decorations for his bravery. After the war, he went home to Pall Mall, Tennessee, and built an industrial institute and a Bible school um, and spent the rest of his life trying to give children better opportunities than he had. So what, what is it that Alvin York can teach us about servant leadership? I think in many ways, the story of Alvin York in World War I represents what it means to be a servant leader. The first thing I, I see in the story of Alvin is serving makes you who you could be. Yeah. That's good. Alvin York was a nobody from nowhere with nine months of education until he had the opportunity to serve. I'm not saying that serving in the military is completely equal with serving God, but there's a reason why we call it serving in the military, not working for the government. There's a lot of people that work for the government. There's, there's few people that serve in the military. When we serve in any capacity, what happens in our life is we become who we could be. Then the next thing, serving gets rid of your rights. You see, Alvin, uh, Alvin had to get to this place where he felt he, like he had a right to not fight. He felt like he had a right and like an entitlement to be a pacifist. Jesus in Philippians chapter two that I just read to you, Jesus had rights as God. If you and I were deities, I wouldn't give my life for any person that I created because I'm, I'm the deity. Y'all need to bow down and worship me. But the Bible says that Jesus gave up his rights as God right. so that he could serve us. Alvin, in this story, as a human being, he gave up a lot of rights that he felt like he had to be a conscientious objector so that he could capture 132 German soldiers and protect the men that were left. You know, the thing, the thing that I see in servant leadership that I've seen a lot in my own life is that there are times where what I have a right to isn't right for other people. It's like as a dad, uh, I do a lot of work. There's a lot of different things I do in my life that make me tired. Uh, the first thing I want to do when I get home is like lay in bed, go to sleep, play video games, watch Netflix, not talk to anybody, turn my phone off. By the way, if you're my friend and you want to love me, don't invite me to anything. <laughs> Last thing I want to do is be at something with people. First thing I want to do is be by myself. Well, if I'm going to be a father to my kids, what I feel like is right for me is not right for them. It's not right for me not to be present in their life. It's not right for me to not make them feel loved because I'm tired or I had a hard day at work today. And so when we begin to servant lead, what we see is, well, there are things that maybe would feel right for me. There are things that I feel like I'm entitled to or things I deserve. But when I start to serve, I become a person who says, you know, my thing is less important than their thing, yeah. whoever that they are in our lives. And then um, the next thing that I feel like Alvin York shows us is that serving makes us miracle workers. I love that. When you serve, you become more capable than you know. You and I, when we serve, we can do things that we and everyone else around us never thought was possible. There's not like a natural, there's not like a, a situation. If you and six of your friends went today and tried to capture 132 people, it's not gonna go that, it's not gonna go that well. But when we embrace the power of serving, what begins to happen is there's some kind of power that gets added to our life. And in a biblical context, when we embrace the power of serving, God adds his super to our natural. It's beautiful. Is what we say here at Elevate Life. And we are way more capable together than we are uh, alone and so, by and, ourselves. And because you're making things happen that would not happen without you, God makes things happen for you that wouldn't happen without him. 
And that's what's mm. so powerful about servant leadership. So because you're, say that again, because you're. Be, because you're, you're making things happen uh, that would not happen without you, God then makes things happen for you that would not happen without him. Mm. And that's the power of servant leading. That's why when the guy unloaded his pistol, it didn't hit Alvin. Why? Because he was on a God assignment. He was beyond himself. He was a pacifist. He was a, like, I don't want to kill people. I don't want to do this. But he was thrust into a situation where God used his skills. And in the voice of Leon Neeson, Neeson <laughs> he had a certain set of skills that were demanded. There's a certain set of skills, listen to me now, that you have that are not just for you to just go make money for you. It's to serve other people with those gifts and watch what God does with money for you. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. It's so very, very powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the next thing is serving maximizes our gifts and talents. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about a master that went to his servants and he gave one of them one talent, the other one two talents, the other one five talents. And a talent, biblically, is not a currency. It's not money. It's a, it's a measurement of weight. And um, so he gives them a gift. And he says, what are you going to do with this? Well, the first, talent, the first servant took the talent, buried it in the ground. We know what the, the other servants doubled it. And what, what when we serve can happen is our gifts and talents become greater with, the, with other people than they could be by themselves. And in that story in Matthew chapter 25, you can read it, but there's three things that, that the good servants did. The first thing that they did was they were good. The second thing that they did was they were faithful. And the third thing that they did was they were servants. Beautiful. So all of us in life, regardless of our gifts and talents, there's, so, there's some things that are very true in terms of what God asks out of us. God asks us to be good. God asks us to be faithful and he asks us to serve with our gifts and talents, serve those around us, serve those who we want to serve. And when we do that, we maximize our gifts and talents. So we're God's sons and daughters. And if God is a good God, he said, I want you to be a good son. I want you to be a good daughter for other people. If I'm a good God to you, I want you to be that way. If I'm a faithful God to you, I want you to bring that faithfulness to other people. And what's so powerful, Josh, I just think about this, is that that one who received one, I mean, really, was it the Bible says that there was weeping and gnashing of teeth and he was cast out into darkness. Yeah. Why? Because he preserved the one. This is where a whole lot of people are, not only in the world, but a whole lot of people are in the church, in the body of Christ. They're trying to hold. They're trying to survive. They're trying to take care of their family. They're trying to make their business work. And they're playing not to lose. God did not make you to play not to lose. God made you to win. So you can't play it safe. You can't hold. You can't go, what if I give that money? Then I won't have it. What about if hard times come? Why? Because what you make happen for others, Ephesians 6, 8, God says, I will make happen for you. In other words, when I serve beyond my pay grade, when I serve other people, when I have a need, God says, just like you met the needs of those people, I'm going to meet your needs and it's going to be miraculous and it's going to yeah. be powerful. Now, let yeah. me give you a very practical story. I have friends right now, a king in this house and his wife, a queen. They've been here almost from the very beginning, Mike and Yvonne Escobedo. They've served, they've given, they've loved. They have one son. Today, they're in Hawaii and their son was with them in Hawaii. 
And their son, who's sitting on the second row today, said, Mom and Dad, I've got to get back because I've got to serve in God's house. They're on a family vacation (laughs) in Hawaii, y'all. Connor, how old are you? 21. You're going to uh, Dallas Baptist. DBU. DBU. And he tells his parents, I'm going to spend about five days with y'all, but then I've got responsibilities. I'm up to serve in the house of God. How many of you want kids like that? That's what happens when you serve God. That's what happens when you expose your children to this kind of mentality. Connor, I'm so proud of you. Y'all give Connor a big hand. Man, go ahead and be seated. Hey, does that freak any of y'all out? That freaks me out. Hey, son, we're going to Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll I, be in Hawaii right now, man. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Someone else has got it. <laughs> That's amazing. But think about it. He's, been, he's one of the first generation that's been raised in this house. Most of y'all weren't raised here. So you struggle sometimes with the message. But when you're raised here, just think about that. Hey, how do you think his parents' heart is towards him? You think he'll drive whatever, as long as he lives under their roof, whatever he wants to drive? You think every need that he ever has will be met as long as he's under his parents' roof? And probably for the rest of his life, because the way he's wired, his parents, whose lives, by the way, have gone like this for the last 20 years, now their 21-year-old son is saying, I'm going to hang with y'all in Hawaii, but I got to get back to the church to serve. Mm. I'm telling you, I don't know about you as a parent, but I would just like be, oh, Jesus, I've gone to heaven. It's that, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah. Man, I'm just blown away by that. It is amazing. Because I'd be in Hawaii too. I can't even Pastor understand Sheila it. Can preach. Like I, I developed the. Okay, Sheila, you do it. I'm going. <laughs> anyway, but hey, isn't that, is that beautiful? Yeah. Come on, is that yeah. that's a son of the yeah. house right there? Wow, yeah. wow. So, 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 I want you to understand something. To maximize your gifts and talents, God takes what you have right now. Yeah. And He maximizes it. I love this story of Alvin York because he only had nine months of school, but everything he needed to do to accomplish that mission, he already had. He was a hunter. He was, a, he was a marksman. He was all this different stuff. He didn't need to know a bunch of books, you know, to go kill a bunch of dudes. He just needed to know how to shoot. And that was what he spent most of his time doing. So the stuff that God's called you to, he's already gifted you with. And when you start to serve, what begins to happen is those things become maximized. And then this is what Pastor Keith was saying just a second ago about Connor. Serving makes you great. Yes. Serving makes you great. Jesus that. says in Matthew chapter 23, he looks at his disciples and he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's it. Pastor Keith has always said this. I've always heard him say this in our church. Servant leadership is your gateway to greatness. One of our favorite quotes of all time is this Martin Luther King Jr. quote. And he says, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, Wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. 
You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. So when we, when we look at the story of a great person who we admire like Alvin York, what made him great was that he served other people in that way. He risked his own life to serve other people. Yeah. What makes us great is not us accomplishing some grand goal for our life. What makes us great is when we choose to be in service to other people. And then, and then the next thing he shows us is serving is what shows our honor. Serving is what shows what we honor. I love what the book of Colossians says. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all of the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Okay, stop right there. These were people that were forced into slavery. So he's talking to people that have been forced. Now you're forced to be a slave. So since you're forced to be a slave, this is how you need to serve. Now, the kingdom of God is not about forced slavery, but God is using this in the context to say, even if you're forced, here's the attitude that you have. So he says, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Now, this is a very real thing for yeah. slaves back then, but, yeah. but what Jesus did was it says he took the position of a slave. I want to invite you into something that maybe sounds controversial, but I promise you it's not, and that's into slavery. Because the question we should ask is, who's our master? So Paul says, serve, serve your master. Serve your master in such a way. When the... When the the Bible speaks of who, our, who it is that we should serve. It, there's a few different perspectives I can give you. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says husbands should serve their wives. It says wives should serve their husbands. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says children should serve their parents. It doesn't say parents serve their children. Philippians chapter 2, again back to what Jesus says, Paul says serve each other. Yeah. Be this way with each other. You and I, we have the, we have the, the ability to decide who our earthly master is. Why? Not because it's indentured servitude. Like, don't be silly about that. Don't be like, oh, Josh wants us to go be slaves. That's, that's ridiculous. It's not what I'm saying. The, the word that Paul uses there for master is this word kurios. And this yeah. word kurios in Greek means a person that we honor, respect, and revere. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about, hey, like the person who owns you physically what you should do is just do, do the things that they make you do as unto God. What he says, what he's saying is the people that you have honor for, the people that you respect, the people that you revere, and we talked about honor last week, what you should do is serve those people, not because of who they are, but because of who you are yes. and because of who God is. The same word is used, this curious word is used to refer to Jesus. It doesn't mean God. It means a person we have honor for. And so serving, ultimately, this is what Paul says, starts with choosing Jesus. Yes. So once Alvin chooses, chose Jesus, he chose his true mission. So he was doing his thing, living his life. He chooses Jesus, and then he goes on a journey to become the person God wanted him to become. And so what we have the opportunity. His mindset didn't change. 
until he got in the house of God. And when he got into the house of God, then his alignments with his commander, his alignment with people begin to take his life to another level. Yeah. And so we have the opportunity to choose our master. And the first master we should choose is Jesus. The first and foremost, most respect and, and honor and admiration and reverence we should have is for God. Um, because the Bible talks about Jesus as a slave. So Philippians chapter 2, Jesus took the form of a slave. What does that even mean? It's the word doulos. It means a person who is legally owned by someone else mm. and whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. Another, another definition for that is one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another. Mm. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other person. You know, no one can make us serve them. Yeah. Your wife can't make you serve her. Your husband can't make you uh, serve him. The people in our life that we have the opportunity to serve, they can't make us do anything. But when we decide, and I'm painting the picture of a master intentionally, when we decide to honor someone on that level, then what we do is we choose to serve them. We choose to make our relationship with them. We put ourselves in permanent relationship of being in service to them. My will is consumed in the will of another person. My responsibility, here's the best leaders I've ever had in my life. The best leaders I've ever had in my life are people that sit down with me and they go, how can I help you today? How can I help you discover your gifts and talents? How can I help you make your job easier? How can I set you up for success? You know who the worst leaders are? The worst leaders are people who sit down with me and tell me all the things they need from me today. Here's all the things I need you to do to make my job easy. That's sometimes how we approach life. We go to God. We're not, we're not really serving God. We're expecting God to serve us. So we go to God, we go, okay, God, here's all my things I need you to make happen for me. I need this, I need that, I want this, I want that. This is going on in my life. I'd like if you fix that. Let's pray about all this stuff. We're not putting ourselves in a position where God is our master. We're trying to put God in the position where we're his master. This is what we do in life. We go to our spouse and we're like, here's all the stuff I need you to do for me today. Here's all the stuff I need you to do for me in life. You know, I got these love languages and I got these ways that you're not making me feel loved and I got all this other stuff. When we, when we approach things from the perspective of servanthood, it's not about what we get from the situation. It's about what we give. Yeah. A servant leader is someone who empties themselves so that they can fill someone else up. And it's so easy for us to go through life and never, never serve anything except ourselves. Yeah. And we think that because we're in some way uh, pursuing our own personal greatness that we're entitled to that. But when we really choose servant leadership, when we step into servant leadership, we do what Jesus did. And that is we choose the humble position of a slave. Yeah. We don't make it about whether or not we feel loved in a situation to show up. We don't make it about whether or not our needs are being met there. We trust that God's going to meet our needs. We trust that God's going to make us feel loved. But we decide to be the kind of people that make other people feel loved. We don't come to church and say to ourselves, well, what am I, what am I getting from that church? Is that church feeding me? That's not servant leadership. Yeah. Servant leadership says, how am I feeding other people? How am I taking care of other people? How am I honoring people? How am I stepping into people's lives and allowing my responsibility to become um, their mind, will, and emotions and their success? And as, yeah. a, as a boss and as a leader, if you happen to be in a leadership position, it's us being the kind of people that in leadership at our jobs, we sit down with people that, we, that work for us and we go to work for them. Yeah. We're like, how can I set you up to win today? And that's ultimately what servant leadership represents and what servant leadership is, but it all starts with us choosing to do that with Jesus. Good, son. Awesome. <laughs> that's a good word. I don't know if people knew to clap or not or so, whatever. Well,
we're getting up. So, Josh, here's, here's what today is about. Today is about us understanding that you're involved in a tribe where our core values are the basis for everything that we do. And in your family, the reason we're modeling that as a church is because we want you to do that in your family. In my book, in chapter five, I talk about how to establish your core values. So the core values of our church, again, are honor. The core values of our church are growth. The core values of our church are grit. The core values of our church are servant leadership. The reason we've taken these four weeks and talking about leveling up and having high-level thinking in a low-level world, because don't you think the world needs a spirit of honor? Don't you think the world needs to be growing in the right direction? Don't you think we need to have grit? Come on, too much grit to quit. Don't you think we need a spirit of servant leadership that despoils mediocrity and releases the generosity of God into the earth? Yeah. That's why we're talking about this stuff. So we're just so glad that you're here and so glad that you're a part of this. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.